All right. Hello and welcome to Rock is Bacchus. First, hi, Mom. And a good morning to Greg McDonald, who, for reasons known only to himself, listens to this broadcast regularly. All I got to say to you, Greg, is get a life. Get out of your basement, man. Mary Jane, weed, herb, ganja, dank, chronic, tea, hippie lettuce, or the devil's asparagus. No matter what you call it or think about it, cannabis is everywhere and it is big business. One area that is getting a lot of attention in cannabis is, uh, is as a medicine. And to talk, to talk about that and more, we have Mark Allred, formerly of the Princess, Pr- Pr- Princess Patricia's Canadian Light Infantry and two commando of the Airborne Reg- Regiment. Currently, he is a cannabis health specialist. And uh, welcome to Rock Spockus, Mark. Hi, how you doing? Good. All in all, the uh, weather's a little wet, but uh, lightning hasn't struck the house yet, so we're doing good. Thirty-two so, degrees here. Yeah, it's just muggy and miserable. Perfect, perfect pot yeah. growing weather, actually. Lots of sunshine, a little bit of humidity, a little water coming yeah. in. It's all good. So uh, let's just get right into it, Mark. What is a cannabis health specialist? Uh, well, it's it's actually a very new specialty, which doesn't have a lot of uh, focus right now because the industry is so young and it's still very regulated. So a lot of the things that I've learned are things I can't talk about in like a retail setting. So I've chosen not to work in one of those. And right now I'm just sort of biding my time waiting for things to pick up. I'd like to get out to the base and talk to the troops. Uh, I'd also like to go to seniors' homes and talk to them about the use of cannabis as medicine. I'd also consider going to talk to graduating classes before they turn 18 and get thrown into this world. So is there employment currently as a cannabis health specialist? There is, but uh, most retail stores refer to their bud tenders or canistas as health specialists. But with Canada Health or Health Canada Department, you're not allowed to actually say anything when you're in a retail store about the medicinal benefits or anecdotal advice about what you might think will help them. It's uh, kind of just a free-for-all. Like, uh, you're not allowed to tell them anything. Well, if you go into any of these cannabis uh, retailers, I've gone into a few to uh, just have a look around, and they're more than eager to tell you about health benefits and using this one for sleep or, uh, you know, this one for pain. Uh, well, I don't know where you're going, but they're not actually allowed to tell you anything like that. So they could lose their license for doing so. so. Yes, they can. I, everybody in uh, Canada has something called a qualified cannabis worker license. Yeah. It varies from province to province how you get it, but you do have to have that qualification to, to work in a retail cannabis store. And there are a lot of parameters for what you can and cannot say, and medical advice is strictly taboo. What else couldn't you talk about, for instance? Um, you cannot, well, it all stems back to that. You can't actually say that uh, this type of cannabis is good for relaxation, or this type is going to give you energy, or this type will help with uh, inflammation. You can't, you can't detail these things, even if you're quite familiar with the different combinations of cannabinoids and terpenes in the cannabis and the different effects that those likely will cause. All right. So do you, do you belong to a professional organization, body, organizing body or a licensing uh, body, anything like that? Um, it doesn't exist yet, but we're working on it. It could take quite a bit of time. So it's a matter There's of, still not a flavor in the money, air, I suppose. For cannabis. Sorry, say that again. There's still not a lot of flavor in the air politically for cannabis. Um, They've made it so restrictive that it's 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 no wonder that the black or legacy market is still thriving 
because people are not happy with the legal, the licensed producers' quality. That, now that it's is just changing now. A lot of the smaller producers getting in, but the bigger, big box producers that started out, they weren't producing quality cannabis. They, they were? People that have been around the world throughout a long time using cannabis, they know good cannabis and they know bad cannabis. So. Well, that, that's the major, uh, major complaint I hear from uh, friends of my son and my son himself who says, my son happens to work for a larger um, uh, company who's, who has yeah. bought up a lot of the smaller companies. And he says the quality of what they put out is, is crap, not crap, but in, in, uh, in comparison to what's on the black market. He said the government yeah. is still, they're still losing money. To the black market. Well, people that grow on the black market on their own, they actually like their plants and they take care of them like their family. People that work in an LP, especially at the beginning when they figured this was going to be a multi-billion dollar industry within six months for some reason, there was just tons and tons of cannabis just being pushed out as fast as possible. It wasn't good. It was dry. Uh, a lot of seeds, a lot of stems, and just bad quality cannabis. Well, I think they looked at... Uh the states in Colorado who I think legalized or went furthest into legalizing cannabis. And, uh, they, they, uh, they well, they run. say they look at California, Colorado and Washington at the start. I feel they're actually looking more at them now. Well, I, I said before it kicked off. Model. I, said, I said before it kicked off legalization, they were talking about, you know, opening and limited areas and all these restrictions. I said yeah. at the time, the government is going to be the only one that loses money selling drugs. Well, I don't know about that right now. I think government's the only one that's actually making a lot of money. Well, they, are making, they are making money, but the black market is still, um, I, I would bet. Right. Are, are, right. I don't think that part's taken away from the government's coffers. I think it's taken away from the retailers' coffers because they have to change their pricing system because there's no advertising or marketing allowed. So they have to find ways to entice people. Surprisingly, COVID has been very, very good for cannabis in Canada. Because and of online sales? Essential service. Well, it was an essential service right from the beginning. So right. it was working. I was working. Uh, liquor stores, cannabis takeout. These are deemed essential. So that was a big boost for Canadians. Especially if you're stuck in your basement, you're safe, you're bored, you have nothing to do. Well, maybe I will try cannabis for the first time or go back to something I tried when I was younger. And that's, there's a point there, trying something that uh, I, I used while I was younger. That just isn't there anymore, in, in my humble no. opinion. The big, big no. money is in high THC, High punch you in the face kind of a pot, and uh, right like I'm, I'm in my mid fifties now, and I can remember the cannabis we were getting like forty years ago. It's kind of stuff that I wouldn't touch with a ten foot pole right now. <laughs> well, I can remember back right. in the day, uh, a friend of the family he went to Hawaii, and uh, he came back from Hawaii and he had some he had some other weed, and he handed me this little. Uh, it wasn't even a joint. It was just a little wrapping paper, more or less. But it was quite the punch in the face compared to what we were getting as kids in, in, at that time from Canada and BC yeah, in well, particular. stuff coming out of Hawaii back then was, uh, that was premium cannabis, like Kona Gold and Maui Waui. Yeah, yeah. Like, most of the stuff we were using back then was equatorial pot, like Jamaican or Colombian or Panama. And, like I go down to that area quite frequently. That stuff is still quite common. It's very cheap. But it's uh, 
harsh. It's uh, full of seeds and stems, and it's yeah. not easy to deal with. <laughs> so back back to your training. What 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 in yeah. broad strokes does this course uh, teach you? Well, this uh, course it starts right from Canvas One Hundred One and ends on a very very clinical note with uh, a very talented qualified professor from uh, the UK who's the head of the UK's uh, Cannabis Research Institute, and she's an instructor on this course. So she gives a lot of information on, say, cannabis and neurological orders, gastrological orders, uh, digestive system, and how these systems work just in a basic level, like you're, you're a medic. I was an EMT, so this wasn't that difficult. Yeah. Then understanding how cannabinoids move through the body and affect different systems in your body and how they can help you, and in some cases, hinder you. Are you talking about the endo endo uh, cannabinoid uh, yeah, system? Yeah, the endocannabinoid system was discovered just over thirty years ago. Now, this is kind of a master system in our body. It's a uh, can it allows homeostasis and equilibrium to be maintained in the body as and, best as possible. And by homo- homeostasis, you mean what we we understand it, but balance. Yeah, you want to keep all your systems balanced. So this is a a master system that sends out signals to all your different systems inside your body when things are a little out of whack. Like uh, you and I both in the military, both understand the fight or flight mechanism. These these cause physiological changes in your body. Your endocannabinoid system can help regulate that when it's unnecessarily going into fight or flight. So what I kind of understood about it from from the brief bit of reading I did was uh, the the endocannabinoid system within your body is a series of receptors, some in your brain and some spread throughout the body that are... Uh, yeah. Are, there are CD1 and CD2 receptors. CD1 are mostly concentrated in your brain and your brain stem, and these are the ones that uh, THC attaches to, like binds with, to cause that euphoric sensation. Now, okay. CBD doesn't bind to CD1 or 2 receptors. What it does is kind of act like a bouncer, gatekeeper, so it lets certain things in and out to regulate you. Now, just specify, it's not just cannabinoids that pass these receptors, it's other things as well. So as a gatekeeper, it allows different things to come in there and either tone down the THC or amp it up. Same with the CBD. When it uh, blocks uh, your CB2 receptors, mm-hmm. it's stopping other things from getting in there that may be causing more inflammation or causing more agitation to your body. So let's say you've uh, ingested way too much cannabis and you're, um, you're not having a particularly enjoyable health experience. Uh, well, C- it, CBD... that does happen by overconsumption. You can have something called cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, which is like throwing up from cannabis. Yeah. It's usually fairly rare. Uh, you can get into like the shakes and the sweats if you've overconsumed. This is called greening out by stoner parlance. But best thing you do to do here is go have a hot shower, hot bath, and if you have some CBD available. CBD, again, will act as a beekeeper and counteract how much THC is going into your system and help bring you down a little to a more manageable level. How about things like uh, grapefruit juice? You often hear having a bad trip, uh, drink grape, grapefruit juice. Uh, grapefruit juice is, uh, I don't know if it's grapefruit juice, but there's a grapefruit extract that's in a lot of different heart medicines. It doesn't react well with cannabis. So, again, the best guidance, no matter what you're taking cannabis for, you may have done it recreationally forever, but if you want to use it medically, talk to your doctor if you have other prescription medications, or other issues that you might be concerned might be affected by cannabis. Which they may of, be enhanced or they may be diminished. 
So which sort of brings us up into uh, Health Canada statement on uh, that current research doesn't establish safety or effectiveness, effectiveness of cannabis. What are your thoughts on that? Um, okay, well, they haven't established safety or efficacy on nicotine or alcohol yet. Those are both regulated by the government. They're both advertised, and they make stellar profits for their companies. Now, we tend to think that coffee is an acceptable drug by day and alcohol is an acceptable drug by night. But they're really not good for you in overconsumption, just like and, anything else. And just to, just to jump in there for a second, they have, Health Canada has stated that uh, tobacco and uh, alcohol are not uh, healthy for you, that carry quite oh, a bit of correct, risk. correct, but they still allow their sale. Yeah, true. And without, well, they're, they're not really regulated that much. There's a lot of warning labels all over cigarette packages now. And alcohol, I think there's some re- new restrictions on advertising where there's like in family spaces and stuff like that. You can't be, look like you have too much fun. Yeah, they still promote alcohol as the way to unwind after a long day at work or on the weekends. Yeah. Yeah, I've yet to see a commercial yeah. promoting uh, um, cannabis as a yeah. uh, weekend weekend relaxer. Prior to legalization, I thought that there'd be some marketing and advertising allowed, like some uh, celebrity endorsements, things like that. And people have found their ways around that sort of. Like uh, Seth Rogen has house plans. Yes. He's not a celebrity endorser. He actually owns the company. Um, there's another company called, uh, I can't remember what it's called, but it's owned by a bunch of different bands, like Our Lady Peace, and they're all Canadian bands, but they actually own the company. So they're not offering uh, celebrity endorsement. They just happen to own the company, so they can put their name on it. So by way of having their name on it, it's sort of endorsing and promoting it. Yeah, it was a loophole, and they exploited it, and power to them, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you don't see... Uh pool full of bikini-clad uh, women and some guy cannonballing into the middle of the pool with a joint in his mouth, um, as, no. as, you, as you do with, a, say, a Foster's commercial for their beer. No, more than likely you're going to see a girl with messy hair and a sweatshirt with pizza coming down her front sitting there eating pizza, <laughs> which is kind of odd because uh, my partner, she's done a couple visual ads for the AMA, yep. about stone driving and binge eating, or eating edibles and stuff, and... Yeah, they kind of just depict her sitting there in sweats and eating everything or passed out in her food and stuff. And I didn't really like the images, uh, like what it's portraying cannabis as, but I did find them kind of amusing because it is my girlfriend and I've seen her in that position before. <laughs> okay, what, uh, what risks are there to using uh, cannabis? Well... Okay, well, we will call this a drug for the time being. I don't really like to call it that, but there are risks with putting anything in your body. You can have allergic reactions to food, as you know. You can have allergic reactions to drug. You can have a, like, a side effect reaction to different drugs. Uh, cannabis, like I said, you can have hyperemesis. You can get uh, nauseous. Worst case scenario, you're probably going to get the munchies, maybe get sick and pass out. Just to back it up um, again, hyperemesis is uh, a lot of uh, vomiting. Yeah. Yep. Okay, it would be vomiting induced by using cannabis. Right. Now, you have to take the fly shot of pepper on that one, too, because a lot of people will go out drinking at night, and then midnight rolls around, and the friend goes, hey, let's go smoke a joint. And whether you've been through this before, you know this is going to lead you to pass out and throw up. It always sounds like a great idea at midnight. So you can't always blame the cannabis. Right. 
lot of people will say, uh, beer before grass, you're on your ass. Grass before beer, you're in the clear. <laughs> and it is basically true in my, <laughs> from what I've seen. Yeah. It always seems like a great idea at midnight. But then after a couple puffs, I get vertigo and I might pass out or just puke. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not, not a, the cannabis. That's just stupid. Yeah. Um, so what about uh, effects on, on the body, um, the lungs, um, mind? Okay, well, uh, yeah, I, we, had, we haven't talked about terpenes at all or the entourage effect. We're getting now, there. What this, oh yeah, okay. The entourage effect is the combined effects of all the cannabis. A lot of the newer products that are coming out, like the cartridges and things like that, they have like 88, 89, up to 95% THC in them. Right. It doesn't leave a lot of room for anything else in there. When you have a natural flower product, you might have 19, 20% THC, and then maybe 2 to 5% terpenes and flavonoids, the rest being plant matter. Now, what terpenes and flavonoids are, <clears throat> these are found in most plant matter around, around our earth. Trees, plants, vegetables, fruits, you name it. Um, for example, you walk through a forest, uh, like a, a pine forest, it's a very nice smell. It makes you feel very alert. It's uh, called piney. Piney is a terpene. Those little green things in your car look like Christmas trees. They were never designed as air freshers. Pine promotes alertness. That's what they want behind the wheel. Mm. That's the one way I've found to get around talking about terpenes. I'm not actually talking about cannabis there. Right. Same with another one, uh, lemony, found in most citrus fruits. Uh, the reason they hand out sliced oranges halfway through a marathon, your mood's really low and your stress is quite high. The idea of lemony is to bring it back into balance. Now, there are hundreds and probably thousands of different terpenes, different effects, and each of them, when they combine with other ones, produce other effects as well. So when you combine THC and different terpenes, you're going to receive different effects. Limiting and pining, as I've just described, they're kind of uppity. So together, they're going to be quite stimulating with cannabis. You look at other ones that are more sedating, like caryophylline, and which is found in black pepper, myrcene, which is found in hops, Cumulene also on hops. Hops isn't beer. Beer makes you sleepy. It's also an anti-inflammatory. It's very relaxing. So I would like recommend different types of cannabis for people depending on what they look for. You want to go to the concert with your friends, you probably don't want to get something that's loaded with myrcene and humulene because you'll pass out in the opening act. If you wanted to watch movies on the couch, you probably don't want to take something with a lot of pining in it or lemon or other stimulants. They're going to make you want to clean the house instead of relaxing on the couch. Now, now are all these flavonoids and terpenes and cannabinoids, are they all in all of the uh, cannabis that's out there, only in varying uh, degrees, depending on the... Uh... Uh, cannabis itself is uh, it's expressed about 50 different terpenes, maybe a few more, but in general there's about 10 that uh, express themselves quite prominently. Like uh, pinene and lemonene, as I said, myrcene, cumulene, Linalua, which is found in uh, lavender, so that goes in potpourri. It's a very calming thing as well. Caryophylline, which I mentioned, is found in black pepper and a bunch of different spices. It's an anti-inflammatory. It's actually the only terpene that kind of acts like a cannabinoid with the receptors. And there's a very good chance that they could reclassify that as a cannabinoid in the future. And it's, it's classified as a, as a flav- flavonoid currently? Currently, it's a terpene. Terpene. But they're having a lot of debate right now, and the, the 
the epicenter of cannabis research is in Israel right now. Dr. Raphael Meshulam, he discovered THC in about 1964, the year I was born. Uh, um, and his team, working with uh, confiscated cannabis, they borrowed from the police. They discovered THC and like the molecular structure and how it works in the body. And then later they discovered the system that it's attaching to, which is the endocannabinoid system. Right. So this is all fairly new understanding. And the re- the research into that is, I guess they're trying to break down the uh, each each of the different cannabinoids and terpenes. And uh, yeah, and they've uh, they've had limited success because, well, up until recently with Canada legalizing, the only legal place that you could get for research purposes cannabis was the University of Mississippi, mm-hmm. and they were producing what people would call ditch weed. It was very low quality. The researchers were not having much luck because it was just not great quality cannabis to work with. Um, European Medical Association, they're using really good cannabis. Same with, uh, well, Britain up until a year ago. I don't know what their deal is now, where they're getting their cannabis. But they were using really good cannabis. So European research was way leaps and bounds ahead of North American research. Two weeks ago, the DEA approved, I believe, 36 new places to grow cannabis to their own specifications to sell for research purposes. So maybe we'll get some better research. Now we have some better cannabis to test. But right now it's the Israelis and the Americans that are in the lead of this? Uh, no, not the Americans. Uh, Canadian research uh, development is really good in cannabis. Europe is definitely good. And Israel has always been at the forefront, but they don't really give a lot of information until they've actually published something. Yeah. I'm surprised by the Israelis. Well, a lot of hats, uh, I don't know why I'm surprised are, by the Israelis being in the forefront, but I am. Yeah. <laughs> so, at about what ages should uh, can cannabis be safely used for? At uh, it's pretty subjective. Uh, Health Canada states that you shouldn't do it if you're under 25, as your brain and your body are still developing. I've seen 16 year olds that are six and a half feet tall already, and I've seen 25 year olds that are still growing facial hair. It's very subjective. It's going to depend on the person. Well, I, I, I was thinking, is probably a safe age. It would it would have been blasphemy to me when I was sixteen. But yeah, certainly. Um, if you weren't smoking yeah, weed by the time you're twenty five, you probably weren't going to be smoking weed. Probably, yeah. I was thinking things but like yeah. uh, the ages. Uh, I've I've uh, I've seen uh, news stories on uh, uh, children, infants with seizures, and their parents giving them um, cannabis oil, and uh, <laughs> it. it uh, a very famous case in the States where uh, the Stanley Brothers in Colorado, they started growing a CBD-dominant strain, and they named it Charlotte's Web after a young girl named Charlotte yeah. Biggie. And, uh, yeah, they reduced her seizures from, I can't remember the exact numbers, but it was hundreds a day, down yeah. to like a couple, like PIAs. Yeah. Very small seizures. Um, and that brought CBD into line. Like uh, Sanjay Gupta, he was tagged to be President Obama's uh, Surgeon General. He refused at the time. He's very anti-cannabis at the time. But he, he went and met Charlotte Biggie and his daughter and her were friends. And he changed his view on cannabis 180 degrees. And that was a big thing in the States because a lot of people idolized this guy. He was on, I don't know, NBC and CNN and one of the, he was going to be the Surgeon General. He said no to Obama. That was the only person who ever said no to him. Yeah. And he just became a very big advocate for cannabis. Unfortunately, we... We lost Charlotte Biggie due to complications of COVID mm-hmm. about a year ago. So, so what? Um, 
what afflictions or diseases could be treated with? Sorry? Uh, what what afflictions or, or diseases could you effectively treat uh, with cannabis? Well, like, I'm, I'm there's thinking clinical here. trials into the use of cannabis for a wide gamut of illnesses and maladies, like uh, different neurological orders, psychological disorders, gastrointestinal disorders, cardiovascular disorders. All these things are being looked at and how cannabis can help in one or another form. A lot of these are CBD trials. And CBD, as you know, is it's still a psychoactive drug, but it is non-intoxicating. And it does amazing things in your body. And they're just starting to breach what exactly that means. So we could be a couple of decades up the road yet with research. Yeah, well, as I said, the endocannabinoid system is a master system controlling and sending signals to all the other systems in your body. And they just discovered this now. Like they're still trying to figure out things about your gastrointestinal system, your nervous system that they've discovered a long time ago that is just continually showing new things. So the endocannabinoid system, they're just figuring out where it's at right now. They do know that it is produced in breast milk and it's kind of on demand. Like the more the infant suckles, the more endocannabinoids will be produced. Strangely enough, at the same time, receptors are on demand as well. So the more endocannabinoids coming in, the more receptors will be produced to meet that. Mm. So you'll find that children that are breastfed are generally more well dispositioned than children that have been uh, bottle fed or have lacked the breast milk. A lot more nutrients in breast milk than you can get from like infant formula. Right. Now, has there been any connection with uh, safety and pregnancy of using, say, oils or vaporizing or Anything like that? Again, they are looking into different uh, different cannabinoids and use during different stages of uh, pregnancy and postpartum. Right. It's very new. I'm not going to comment on the safety of that. I have known women that have used it through pregnancy for uh, morning sickness and cramping and things like that. Now, if we're going to talk about women, you need to talk about the women's bodies are definitely different than ours. They're so up and down and... Everybody knows a young girl that tried cannabis in high school and absolutely hated it. Well, I would contest that it's perhaps it was the wrong kind of cannabis. A young girl going through puberty, her body's going through a lot of changes. Some of those terpenes combined with THC are probably not going to be the best source of entertainment or relaxation for at that time. I would recommend things that are reducing cramping and swelling, like caryophylline and uh, humulene and myrcene. Again, that's the same when women are in their cycle. When they're menstruating, when they're ovulating, they have different needs than they do other parts of the month. Mm-hmm. So different types of cannabis will cater better to them. Why would you want something that's going to be totally in your head and make you anxious and energetic when your whole body's seizing and cramping? Well, without without recommending anything, what, what would be a, uh, uh, for menstruation, what would... What ratio of uh, CBD to well, THC? Well, in, uh, in old-type terms, I would say look for something that's an indica. Okay. Something that is broadly plant that is going to, like, just always going to be higher in myrcene and humulene than, like, a sativa-dominant type. And they're more thinner leaves, and they tend to grow different types of terpenes than indica-type plants. Well, let's, let's interrupt you there for a second because you're kind of cutting into a question I, I had. Uh, indica and sativa, are they basically the same same plant. Okay, yeah. Basically, indica plants are kind of short, broad-leafed, bushy plants, and sativas are tall, kind of thin-leaved, and lots of space between the nodes. 
Uh, this is because of where they've originally grown. Sativas grew originally out on like desert type plains where they had like sun morning to night. So they weren't like the shorter broadleaf plants. They grew in the Hindu Kush Valley originally. So they had mountains on both sides. So they had to reach for the sun. Right. As it were. That's why their their shape is like that. Now again with Indica and Sativa, we still use those terms to describe effects, but that's not correct. Those are the physical properties of the plant. That is all. Okay. You can find broadleaf plants that are energetic. You can find narrow leaf plants that are relaxing. It's just a matter of picking the fly shot of pepper and doing a little bit of research to figure out what you want. That is one of the good things about the retail system. They can say, yes, it's an indica. Yes, it's a sativa. It's sativa dominant. And yeah, I've even said, yeah, this is a this is an indica dominant plant, but it does have a pretty high level of limonene in here. And I, you just told me what you want to use it for. I can't comment on that. I just don't, I think this particular terpene is going to be very stimulating for you. So I just find ways to go around things without actually saying anything. Yes. So where, where are you, where do you think your organization is at the moment in uh, becoming uh Right now? Yeah. Uh, right now, very beginning stages of just putting education out there and trying to get people interested in learning about camps so they can teach others. I mean, I'm just That's looking. All I, want. I don't really want a job. I just want to help others. And my focus right now just has on vets because my body's a freaking mess. Yours is a mess. I know what cannabis has helped me with. I'm not stoned all day long. No. But I'm not in pain either. No, and I, I think I think that right there is the the issue. Um, and we're, we both ha- are, have an interest in vets. So you're coming at a slightly different angle. Um, but I, I remember yeah. when, when uh, the licensing to become a physician assistant took, uh, uh, it took something like 15 years before we actually got licensing as PAs. It was a long, yeah. drawn-out process. Do you expect the same sort of process with uh, licensing uh, your, your uh, specialties? Well, because this is so new, this is about as special as it gets right now. There is yeah. a... I think it's the University of Michigan or Wisconsin. They've actually started a four-year degree program. And I've only looked at a very basic synopsis of what it's going to entail, but it looks very comprehensive. And uh, I think you're going to need a freaking medical degree to take this course. <laughs> well, you may be on the cutting edge of it all. Well, that's the idea. I don't really have any aspirations of becoming a doctor or anything like that, but I just like helping people. And I can recognize pain because I can feel it myself. And, my partner's working as a, becoming a clinical psychologist, so I see a lot of her things that she deals with without getting too much into that. I see where the crossover is here and how we can work together. I recently read a good series of articles, I, probably on the counter or somewhere, about um, caregivers needing to be uh, needing to be afflicted to uh, emphasize, emphasize and understand what their patient is going through. In other words, they have to have undergone um, the same type of pain. Yeah, it's, uh, like her main focus is it's trauma-related, and I'm, I'm not going to pretend to know a lot about what she's doing. I, I do hear a lot of it, but I know the newer therapies that they're talking about, like EMDR, and they're using this with, with troops. I know that. And it's just, uh, I remember taking, like, cognitive behavioral therapy when I was broken, like getting knee surgery and like psychology and stuff like yeah. that 30 years ago. 
and they take that everything that I took in second year university. That's all like basic first week. Right. Like they've just come so far in thirty years now that what I learned is nothing. And in this space, I would say in ten years, what I've learned is going to be just basic information as well. Yeah, because this, there'll there's a as I said in the beginning, there's a lot of money being uh, thrown into this research because a lot of people are expected to make a lot of money, and and medical. Well, there's a lot of. Uh, there's a lot of money being thrown into it because they want to they want to change it. They have to change it before they can patent. You can't patent the plant. That's why we haven't had a lot of research up until now because there's no money to be made from pharmaceutical companies. Like, yes, there are things that are out there like Marinol, Dronabinol, Sativax. Um, some of these are sort of cannabis. Some of them are isomers and some of them are just synthetic. What about uh, hashish? Those. Hashish, well... Ashish originated uh, on the rooftops of Morocco and Algeria, baking in the sun. This is just the paste from the ha- from the plant, resin, the trichome, it's all smashed up, and then just dried. Strangely yeah. enough, when uh, they started doing this, hashish developed its own terpene. They've named it hashishim, hmm. and they find that it's a very sedative terpene. If you ever smoke hash compared to cannabis, you're not finding a lot of uh, uplifting type of hash. Ash is generally used to calm down Relax. and mellow out. And they often confuse opium dens with people smoking hash because it looks very similar. Mm-hmm. And they equate smoking hash with these passed out people in these masked rooms with couches. That's not hash, but it's very, uh, it's more sedative than just plain flour. Are there any, are there any medicinal benefits to it? So it's, I would have it. I would say it has the same medicinal benefits as that type of cannabis as well. Like it's not going to be uplifting, and you need some kind of stimulation in your nervous system. It's not going to be for you, but if you need something to help you relax or deal with inflammation or just the, the chronic pain that comes with that, I would think hashish would work just as well, if not better than cannabis. It's usually a little higher in THC, more concentrated. So you you would say that the the hashish, or you would at least guess that the hashish, um, it depends on what type of uh, cannabis was used in yeah. developing it. Yeah, like when I was younger, 40 years ago, that was the majority of what we had was hashish coming from Lebanon or Afghanistan. Yeah. The actual flour was hard to find until, I don't know, somewhere in the 80s, some guy comes in, I got this new stuff called Indica. I, said, I don't know what that is, but I really want it. And <laughs> we smoked it, we all fell asleep. Yeah, well, I remember it was... The early 80s, I think, when we were starting to get uh, Sensimilian in. Yeah, probably early yeah. 80s when we started to get Sensimilia in from yeah. Mexico. Indica and Sensimilia, they started using these fancy words. You know, Sensimilia is just Spanish for without seeds. Seedless, yeah. So no more dumping your yeah, pot out on your record uh, album and tapping the seeds out. Yeah. <laughs> Not that I, I ever did that. <laughs> but I've seen it done. That. <laughs> um, that's hashish. What what are the common misconceptions about uh, using uh, cannabis? Uh, well, it's been so demonized for so long by the U.S. government. It's just the last hundred years of you can see how powerful a uh, myth is. Like it's only been a hundred years since it's been demonized, but the older generations right now have been so brainwashed into believing all that propaganda from the twenties and thirties and forties. Like it's just ridiculous but look at the you ever hear of hemp for victory farmers yeah. in the u.s yeah. were convinced to grow hemp during world war ii on a special license yeah because 
that's what all the canvas and sails and ropes are made of is hemp. Yep. What we call Manila is hemp. Canvas, hemp. Hemp was a, a staple crop in the U.S. long before cotton ever was. And because when ships arrived, they would bring stuff, but they had to bring stuff back because the rigging and all their sails were all trash from an ocean voyage. Hemp is what made all those things possible. And I believe it started and, going out of out of style. It came back in during WW2, but it started well, yeah, fell, it, it fell had out. to because the reason it fell out was because uh, in the early 1900s, the Hearst and the Vanderbilts owned all the newspapers in the U.S. and all the pulp and paper mills. And prior to that, everything was printed on hemp. And so they wanted their pulp and paper mills and their newspapers prosper. So they started demonizing hemp. And by doing this, they demonized Mexicans as lazy and I was just crazy say, with cannabis or black musicians as black jazz musicians. all the white women. Exactly where I was going yeah. with that. Yeah. Yeah. And like they, they gave it such a bad name and like demonized it, that it just became like part of our culture that, well, then they made it a schedule one drug. So it couldn't be, it was, yeah, this is your brain on drugs and stuff like that. It, it was quite ridiculous. It's a good people commercial. are starting to look back on this now and you can watch reefer madness now. and It's a comedy. Oh yeah, it's so absurd. And like there are, like the movies that come out now that depict stoner culture, Pineapple Express. I don't really like them because they really put it. They portray everybody as exactly the same. It's like even the the Health Canada ads on the radio. A guy pulls up to the drive through. Can I get a? Oh, uh, uh, let me guess. A side order of bacon. It's, yeah. just, it's not good information. It, it's bad information. It makes. Everybody thinks that people that are smoking are like a danger to other people, and they're really not. They're a danger to 7-Eleven's Dorito supply, and that's about it. <laughs> well, I recommend having healthy snacks. Said. Have healthy yeah. snacks around when you're doing your cannabis. You don't want to have yeah, a weight well, you're problem. You're allowed to drink alcohol, so you go out and you drive your car home drunk, you kick your dog, you yell at your kids, you hit your wife. Worst case scenario for a guy that smokes a joint, he's going to go steal a bag of Doritos from 7-Eleven if he has no money. <laughs> so Not really a civilization-ending uh, so you're, prospect. So you're, you're not stating that um, there's a lot of, of uh, health risks to huh? uh, using cannabis. Or there's not a lot I don't of, know what you mean. There's not a lot of um, um, well, reasons not to use. We start getting out some positive information about cannabis like the charlotte biggie story an amazing story but it really only talks about cbd use for epilepsy yeah which is it's fantastic because kids with epilepsy this is a big controversy about kids using cannabis i don't really see them having much problem with all the other prescription drugs that are loading into kids that are causing them to sit in their classroom drooling all over their desk right cannabis is not going to do that to a child it's not going to help their brain development but CBD is going to, like, seizures are not helping your brain develop it either. Like, CBDs can calm, CBD can calm your seizures down quite a bit. It's going to slow down that uh, degeneration of uh, your neurons and things. So sure. that was medically incorrect a bit, but. <laughs> the general idea was right. Um, yeah. So I already asked that question. But what about use of uh, in animals? Pets. Uh, for pets is becoming a very big thing right now, especially for dogs. As dogs get older, their hips and their joints get really, they get 
just like us. They get deteriorated more so than cats. Cats are they're pretty mellow for the most part. Dogs, a lot of them are very high energy when they're young, and they just 100 miles an hour with their hair on fire. Yeah, yeah, they jump and they run into things, and it doesn't surprise me they have a lot of joint problems. CBD has been proven to work wonders on dogs. The biggest problem with the uh, like THC can cause a dog to get maybe ill and fall asleep for a long time. People think that uh, if the dog is eating their cookies or something like that, that the THC is making them sick. It's usually other things in the cookies, like the sugar and the chocolate, chocolate that yeah. dogs really shouldn't have. And the THC is a good exacerbate. Yeah. Um, it's always best to go and talk to a vet about this as opposed to a health food or a pet food store. There are a lot of products out that have uh, CBD from hemp, and they're a little pricey, but they're very, very low-value CBD and not very much of it, and it's really not going to be very effective. Right. So you you would say then to whether it's a person with animals or a person wanting to uh, start um, cannabis on their own to consult with their physician and their veterinarian. Well, the big moniker is start low and go slow. Right. And I I agree with that in everything you do. No matter like moderation is the key to everything. Start low, see if it has any effects on you, see if you like it, and then slowly increase your dose till you find a space where you're generally where you want it to be, whether that be for pain relief or energy or just general well-being, you will find your sweet spot. And like cannabis changes all the time, so you have to be a little bit flexible and have a little bit of a a buffer on either side where you're comfortable. So I I would suggest, and correct me if uh, you do it differently, as you're using, um, keep a journal of... uh, uh, yeah, these are becoming quite popular now. Uh, I've seen a lot of them in the uh, retail stores. A lot of the licensed producers are producing their own because it's one way of advertising their name right. as well as providing some uh, knowledge and information to their customers. And yeah, you'll actually, if you look at some of these booklets, it'll talk about a little bit about the terpenes and like, it doesn't go into the effects or anything, but it does make you like tick off some boxes. Hey, this made me feel like this. Now, why did you have these terpenes were in there? And then you... It kind of goads you to do your own research and find out why I like this one or why I didn't like this one. So you can uh, cater things better for yourself next time. Yeah. Well, it makes good sense. Um, yeah. It's, it's exactly what a doctor does when he's giving you a new medication. You know, he starts. starts yeah. Well, well, I mean, on the big, not, big the ticket stuff. Not learned. Yeah. The, the doctors have never learned about the endocannabinoid system in medical school. Or cannabis. That's no, but what very, I, what, what I mean reason. is they, they generally, if they're starting you on a new drug, they start low, go slow, and bring you up to a, a dosing level of whatever drug they're giving you. So it's, Yeah, well, that is their, that is their oath, right? But uh, there are cases where people are overprescribed right from the beginning from what I've seen. Oh, absolutely. Especially, like, I find, I find a lot of people, like, 30 and under right now, I'm not saying they're crazy or anything, but I, I do seem to find that they suffer from a lot more things that, we would call on the spectrum because they just, they've been overstimulated their whole lives and I'm not saying they've been catered to, but they've, they've had a different upbringing than older people have. And I'm not condemning anybody here, but I just find that they're not equipped to handle stress the way older people were. And I'm not trying to step on toes there. Well, I just think that cannabis can actually help people navigate their path. So, 
what what message? What's the main message you would take uh, to uh, to the veterans For me, or anybody else? Um, again, uh, I would reiterate what we said: start low, go slow. Do your own research. Find out what strains are going to be used for what you're looking for. If you have pain or inflammation and you just want to relax, look it up. Don't just go willy-nilly into a retail store and ask for an indica because you may not get exactly what you want. Um, I wouldn't uh, recommend going to any of these 2.0 concentrates, the really fancy stuff, until you're comfortable using just normal cannabis. Yeah. And again, just uh, listen to your own body. Don't listen to the people you're with. Everybody's going to react differently. You and I could smoke the exact same amount of the exact same thing right now. We're going to have two different experiences. Tomorrow, if we do the same thing, we'll have, again, two different experiences. So yeah. Have a little bit of flexibility and pay attention. Like uh, The idea of being, using cannabis is not to smoke so much that you just drift off into a freaking couch four feet deep. You're not going to have, in most cases, psych- psychedelic like reaction, like illusions or anything like that. Very, very rare, and usually combined with other things as well. Cannabis itself is just going to be very mellow if you're looking for mellow, and a little bit uplifting if you're looking for uplifting. And just keep uh, just keep a bit of body and mind awareness that so you're always on top of things, and you don't have to control it, but just go with it. And the only the only thing I would add to that, or I would stress, you you pretty much said it as well, is that if you're going to be using cannab- cannabis with a prescription medicine. Talk to your doctor about it. Make sure that it is a safe combination. And I did a lo- fair bit of research on, on this one before talking to you. And the most... Yeah, absolutely. I have, a, I have a medical prescription for cannabis that I have from Veterans Affairs. I strongly encourage all veterans to look into it and see if they're eligible. But when I first got it, I was just very excited. Well, I'm just going to smoke all this. Then after about a month or two, I said, okay, i got to start looking at why I got this to begin with. Now I hardly buy any of the flour. I mostly buy oils. And these are like 6 to 1 CBD over THC oils that I use mm. during the day just for my knees and my back, which are not in constant agony, but depending on the weather, they're, they piss me off a lot. Yeah. So I just use them as medicine. And at nighttime when I want to relax, I will find a nice, just a joint or a bong, and I will load it up with something with cumulane and myrcene and carry off just to put me on the couch to relax. And that's it. Now, just to plug your website for a second, you've got a Facebook site, Canna Vets, on Facebook, correct? Yeah. And if they this go... This a project from our course that I made, and I've just sort of kept it going. I've never boosted or anything. I just like to throw the information out there, and the few people that randomly pick it up, some people have passed it on, and it's getting there. Now, w- will they find much information on uh, different types of... Um the flavonoids and cannabinoids and terpenes. Yeah, right now I think I've only got about 15 to 20 articles. Some of them are just photos that I like. But I've started with Cannabis 101, and then I moved into the entourage effect in terpenes and indica versus sativa, and then just sort of like in a logical sequence, try to bring cannabis into the forefront so people can have the basic knowledge before they can look deeper. So... Cannabis, a gateway drug to other drugs or not? Um, it's always been called a gateway drug. That's, again, part of the propaganda. Now being called a getaway drug. They are using it to get people off of opioids, which is a much bigger problem in this 
in this world than cannabis. They're Would using you? it for people to get off of cigarettes, alcohol, even for weight loss. Yeah. Yeah. You just have to learn how to apply it properly in the right circumstance with the right mindset, and you can do anything with it. What about other drugs? Do you learn anything else on your uh, course, like uh, psilocybin and LSD? For um... we vaguely, well, briefly talk about the the future of plant based medicine. And yeah, I'd say psilocybin, LSD, MDMA, ketamine. These are all being tested now as different therapies for treatments like PTSD. Um, mostly in um, mostly mostly in psychological disorders right now. Mm-hmm. But I believe there are probably is a lot of uh, benefit to using microdoses of mushrooms and MDMA. They've done trials with soldiers and given them doses of this at varying levels, and then they like lost their symptoms for up to a year with just one session of MDMA treatment. That's and psilocybin. That's good. Uh, Myself, good uh, results. I like to make mushroom microdoses, like just like 100 milligrams of mushroom, like one tenth of a gram. And then I'll put a bunch of other adaptogenic herbs like other mushrooms and ginger, things like that. I'm not going to give you my formula, but <laughs> yeah, it's just, uh, it helps regulate me through the day. Okay. So you, you yeah, have other things okay. like anti-inflammatory. Right now, anti-inflammatory um, uh, I know they're doing uh, testing right now on the anti-inflammatory effects of psilocybin, but they haven't really concluded anything yet. Okay. These clinical trials take years. Oh, yeah. And I mean... Pod is the first one that's getting the major major uh, yeah. study, but shrooms and uh, LSD as well are becoming big in the uh, yeah. research community again. Yeah. Because and of like, if metal. you look on the stock market now, these are the bigger hot moving stocks right now too. Hmm. Well, maybe I'll get off the phone with you and go make some money. <laughs> well, people realize that they could have made a lot of money during the cannabis craze there and probably lost their shirt at the end of it. But now they're looking at the psychedelics market as an up-and-coming medical market that they should get into early because it is going to be big. Well, I think there, there is definitely money to be made, but I'm no expert on it. I happen to luck in and make no. a little bit of, bit of money when it first came out, and I got right. sold off at the right time. <laughs> I just got lucky because yeah, I had I, no idea what the hell I was doing. Um, so that well, kind of brings me up to the, the end of my list of questions there. What else do you got to bring to the table, Mark? Mm. Well, in conclusion, I would just like to say that cannabis is not the big scary drug that you were brought up to believe. And if you're a troop, I think that cannabis can help you with recovery and well-being. Are there any pr- a, a lot of benefits? Are there any particular um, books or uh, studies that you've seen that you would recommend people have a read of? Um. I have a pretty vast library, but most of it can be found on the internet now. If you like punch in cannabis and terpenes or cannabis and epilepsy or cannabis and Parkinson's, you will find hundreds of articles on pretty much everything. Whether they be studies or anecdotal information, it's there's lots there. Yeah, the the and just read and pick the fly out of the pepper. The the part of that is is uh difficulty. I mean when I've seen patients and they'd come in and had spoke with Dr. Google, he go, oh, Christ. Because people, they go in there, they well, find... Well, again, yeah, you've got to still... Like, you, you got to be able to... More than just read one article, yeah. You have to be able to understand what whether this is a credible source. Um, yeah. And if you're just getting uh, some... Quack, there are some good sites on the internet, uh, the Conigma, 
What is that? Enigma.com. Enigma, C-A-N-I-G-M-A.com. Okay. Very good site for articles. I use them a lot for my references. I've even actually reposted a couple of theirs because they're, they're just spot on. Uh, Cannabis Training University always has really good articles. Cannabis uh, Training University? Yeah. Like, there are there's just too many to mention. Like, uh, well, that's I a couple people can have a look at. hundred different markers on my computer. I, I'd suggest maybe, because uh, I don't remember seeing it on your site, maybe that would be a good thing to list on your site is a couple of reliable. I was markers. actually preparing an article for some of the best uh, training sites in North America yep. that are online right now. I was going to put that up tomorrow probably. All right. Well, that's that's all that's all I got. I think we covered that hour quite uh, well with a lot of good information in there. Great. And so I hope uh, between your site and uh, you know guys listening to other PTSD stories and sharing their own uh, issues, uh, mental yeah. health, health issues. I mean, if they want to hit me up on Messenger and ask me a question, that's that's great. Okay. And if they want to get a hold of me, they can also do that at Steve C Copang at gmail dot com. That's Steve, Charlie, Kilo, Oscar, Papa, Papa, Alpha, November, Golf at gmail.com. I'm easy to find. I'm not too far from a computer. All right, Mark. Well, thanks a lot for uh, for weighing in and uh, sharing your knowledge with us. And hopefully, yeah, uh, no hopefully we can uh, get some traffic going and get you some business or get you in sure. the business of getting the information out there. Perfect. All right. Once again, thanks a lot, man. Okay. Just, just hold on the line for a second. Yeah. Okay, hopefully that uh, helps some of you veterans out there and you non-veterans if uh, if you're listening to this as well. Definitely uh, have a look at uh, Mark's site. That's Mark Allred on Facebook and it's Canavets on, uh, on Facebook. So have a good one. Go spark one up and take the pain away. Cheers. <laughs>